Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I'm so humbled to be here. I'm grateful to just be in the room and to witness what God's doing in your community. And I want you to know that our community in Miami, VU Church, we've been impacted so much from this church and this house. Your generosity has made all the difference from the beginning. You've believed in us, prayed in us, and everyone in Miami sends love and thanks. But I also want to thank your fearless, faithful leaders. I'm so grateful. Rich is here, and together we want to thank you. And that's not all I want to say, because I'm so grateful for your integrity I'm so thankful for it. Celebrating 40 years of marriage. What an incredible, incredible accomplishment. I think that's one of the most glorious things. And thank you for your faithfulness, the way you love people, the way you steward what God's placed in your hands. I just want to say I love you and I'm grateful. Come on together. Can we thank Pastor John and Debbie? I'm thankful for you. Hey. Why don't you high-five somebody, look them in the eye, and say, I'm glad I'm sitting next to you as you grab your seat. Well, hey, if you turn to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read it. It says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. I want to take the next few minutes to talk to you from this thought, a hill to die on. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. Thank you for their story, for their journey. God, I pray that today, through the power of your spirit, that you just speak to their situation. God, that you'd open up their eyes and you'd open up their heart to receive your truth, that they'd fall more in love with you, Jesus. We're here for you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Oh, come on, and everybody said? Amen. Well, we just read from Matthew, and just a few chapters before, there's this scripture that is one of my favorite scriptures in the Word. It says this, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, or burdened, and I will give you, and I will give you. I think that's a promise for us in every season of our life, and it's a direct personal invitation from the throne room of heaven. I'm not sure what you walked in with today. You know, I can say that to try to somehow speak to everyone in the room, but the truth is, is that Jesus really knows what you walked in with. He really knows the decisions that feel too big for you to make today. He really knows the pain in your life. And this invitation that we read in Matthew chapter 11 is an invitation from Jesus himself to you today. Come, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest is what we all seek. Rest is what we all desire. He says, come to my love. Come to my freedom. Come to my forgiveness. Come to a brand new life. Leave all the things that you've carried behind. Come to me if you're weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. But how does that rest transpire? How do you actually rest in peace? Well, that's exactly it. You come and you die. 
You come and you die to yourself. The message of the gospel is not just come and live. Friends, the message of Jesus is come and die. Die to yourself, die to your old proclivities, die to your old dreams. The message of Jesus is come and find rest when you choose to lay down your life is when you will actually find it. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. You know, 20 years ago, I met Rich. In fact, on my 18th birthday, I was in the Ozarks with Rich and his family. But 20 years ago, we fell head over heels in love, and we got married. And that first year of marriage, he, he's here. He can testify like, it is not easy. How many of you can testify also? Come on. Learning to live with someone, not easy. Learning to share space with someone who's different from you, it's not an easy adjustment. And uh, Eli was leading worship today. Awesome job leading worship, Eli. Don't you love the worship team here at James River? It's amazing. But uh, Eli, somebody told me that you got married two months ago. Congratulations, man. You are on the journey. And what Rich and I can both testify to you is we got some great wisdom our first year of marriage, and I, I just want to share it with you today. Some of you may know this. Somebody came up to me, and they said, Don Cherie, choose your battles. Does anybody agree with that wisdom? Choose your battles. Like when Rich shaves his beard and leaves it in the sink, choose your battles. Rich, when I drive the car and leave it for the 45th time on empty in the parking lot. Thanks, babe, for choosing your battles. <laughs> Is this really the hill that I'm going to die on today, or do I have the power to choose when I will compromise, when I will change? when I will concede. It's a powerful truth when we realize that we get to choose our battles. But friends, it's also a day of forever change when you realize that there is a battle that we're not called to compromise in. There is a battle that we're called to stand firm in the ground that God has already claimed and know who we are in Christ and what he's called us to do. There is an actual hill to die on, and that hill to die on for every follower of Jesus is the message of the one that we love. How many of you believe that God has called us to stand our ground, to proclaim the truth, to be a lighthouse? So come on, do you really believe it? This is our hill to die on. What does hill to die on mean? It's an issue or a course of action that one pursues with total and wholehearted conviction, despite the difficulty and potential consequences of doing so. What does the hill to die on look like for followers of the way? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 16, he says, if you want to come after me, you will have to Deny yourself. Let's just stop right there. Deny yourself. Why is Jesus telling us that we need to deny ourselves practically? Some of you are going, my, my way seems to be going pretty good right now. Well, Jesus is trying to tell us that there's a way that seems right in a woman's eyes that leads to destruction. What Jesus is trying to tell us is that our pride, our way, it comes before a fall. 
He's trying to tell us that our desires, while right now they may fill us, that they will lead us to a brokenness that we could never imagine. Like Jesus is trying to tell us that our dreams, well, they're just a nightmare in disguise if they aren't surrendered to God. Why is Jesus telling the early disciples, deny yourself? What he's saying is, die to the thing that's been killing you all along. Your flesh is killing you. Your desires are killing you. Your own dreams not to surrender to God, they are killing you. And I can tell you after eight years of walking through infertility, that on that eight-year journey that I realized I had to choose to deny myself, that it was no longer my timeline of when God would bring these kids into the world. And that my peace daily and my joy didn't rest on my timeline coming to pass, but rather I serve a faithful God who woke me up every single day with purpose and a mission, knowing that I wasn't on pause or at a stop sign. But you know when that truth actually resided and was established in my heart? The moment I decided to deny myself. When I decided to trust him, Denying yourself is like giving up your rights. We give up our right to bitterness. If you want to be forgiven, then you actually have to forgive. We give up our right to our reputation. You're, you're blessed, the Word of God tells us, when you're mocked, when you're slandered, when you are talked about. We give up our right to our to dishonor authority. We know that God's called us to honor those that are over us, to submit to those that he's given leadership in our life. We give up our right to our own identity. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We give up our right to complain. Do everything, Philippians tells us, without complaining or grumbling. We give up our right to go first. Philippians tells us, don't be selfish. Instead, be humble and look to the interests of others. We give up our right to walk by sight. Instead, we walk by the word of God spoken and leading us. We give up our right to hate because God's called us not just to love our enemies, but to pray for them. We even give up our right to a secure and safe home. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is Jesus saying to us? He's saying when you seek things for yourself, you will only come up short and empty. But if you really want to find a life, a real life worth living for, then it's got to be worth dying for. Come on, if you believe it today, put your hands together. We're called to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross. But not just deny ourselves. Then Jesus goes on and he says, if you will come after me, then you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross. Look at your neighbor and say, take up your cross. See, we, we lay down our burden, right? We lay down our life. We deny ourselves. But that's not all we do. We then pick up his burden the burden of the Lord. We lay down our burden and we pick up his. In Matthew chapter 11 that I quoted a moment ago, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We love to quote that verse. It's like come and rest in the oasis of peace on your island of joy. But friends, the scripture doesn't just end there. 
The scripture goes on to tell us in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the same burden that Jesus carried is the burden that you and I as followers of Jesus that we are called to carry. Jesus, he chose to pick up his cross. And you and I, we get to choose daily, not just on Sundays, but daily. We get to care about the things that God cares about. What's the burden of the Lord? The burden of the Lord is for those that are far from him. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. The burden of the Lord is to set things right in the world, on earth as it is in heaven. The burden of the Lord is for those that are in pain, that people could walk into this room or pray with you on a day-to-day basis and you pray for healing in their bodies, that the supernatural presence of God brings freedom and healing and health. The needs of those that are isolated, they be brought into a home, that the brokenhearted be healed by the power of his spirit. This is the burden of the Lord. This is the burden that you and I, when we say, God, I want to pick up my cross like you. It's saying, God, I care about the things that you care about. My my kids, Wyatt and Wilder in here, they love to help me with the burdens in my life. When I pull up in my minivan, minivan nation, anybody, anybody love the minivan? You think it's a powerful force. I'm a fan of the minivan. I pull up in my driveway in my minivan with the groceries and my kids will come out into the driveway on their scooters. Mom, mom, I want to help you. One's four, one's two. Mom, let me carry it. Now, the funny thing about those two boys, amazing men of God over there on the second row, the funny thing about them is that they just want to help with what they want to help with. They only want to carry what they want to carry. And they only want to carry it in their own strength. Like they'll come out and they'll be like, mom, I don't want the bag of peaches. Let me take one peach out. I'll carry this peach for you and I will eat it as I carry it. (laughs) They only want to carry the things that are easy for them to carry. And they only want to carry it as long as it keeps their attention and is interesting and is fun. How often do we look like this with the burden of God? God, I only want to carry what lights me up. What gets me going? God, I only want to carry what I can carry in my own strength. God, give me a burden that I'm good at. Give me a burden that I can run fast with. God, I only want to carry the burden as long as it's interesting to me, as long as it's inspiring to me. And Jesus is looking around the globe in 2022 for a group of faithful men and women who would say, Jesus, I care about what you care about. I want the whole burden. I don't want to pick and choose, but rather when you say go, I want to move. When you say say, carry my cross. I want to carry it every step of the way. Come on, if that's the cry of your heart today, can you put your hands together in this house? We're called to carry our cross. I'm not picking and choosing. I'm not deciding what is important. God already said what's important. So I'll value what he values over what I value. What it is, is preferring his things over your things. Friends, 
somehow we've become disillusioned with leadership. We've become disillusioned with serving. And I think it's because we don't have an honest perspective on what Jesus has called us to do. Did you know that there is a weight to leadership? There is a weight to loving people. There is, there is a burden. In fact, Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ, meaning you can walk down to this altar on a Sunday and not just pray for your own needs, but you can stand in the gap for others in your life that you love. You can intercede on their behalf and God answers your prayers. Come on, if you consider it an honor to love and to carry the burdens of those around you, it's carrying your cross. I love reading how Paul, he, he goes on this tirade explaining all the things that he's been in danger of. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger without food. I've been beaten. I've been tormented. I've been put in prison. I've been on the brink of death. And then he gets through this long list. And at the end of it, he says, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. What is he saying? He says, I'm not going to let my personal struggles hinder me from picking up my cross. Even in prison, I'm picking up my cross. Even when I'm pushed back, I'm picking up my cross. Persecuted, I'm picking up my cross. Jesus says, I've called you. If you want to come after me, there's a decision before you. Will you deny yourself? Will you pick up your cross? But lastly, he says this powerful statement. He says, and follow me. Will you say that with me? And follow me. Can I ask you something today? Are you following Jesus? Are you following him? Because it's not just a moment that you meet him. You know that the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, that a path of purpose unravels before you. That, that when you meet Jesus, some of you think your testimony is just the one moment where you surrendered to him. Friends, that's just the beginning of your testimony. Your testimony is evolving every moment of the day because of the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. And 30 years later and 40 years later, you've still got a new testimony in your heart because he's moving you and he's leading you and he's prompting you and he's waking you up in the midnight hour with a burden that lights your heart on fire with love for those around you. Come on, is anybody with me? You've got a testimony. You've got a testimony. And Jesus, he doesn't ask us to do what he hasn't already done, right? Because he denied himself. He prayed in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass for me. I don't want it. This isn't my will. This isn't my desire. It's not, it's not my plan, God. But what does he say? But not my will, but yours. Three times he asks. He's relentless in his pursuit to make sure that this is the path that God wants him to walk out to his death. But when God makes it clear that this is his mission, he goes through with it. What does he do? He picks up his cross. He picks up his cross for you and I, and as he carries it, he comes to a hill called Golgotha. And that place, that hill, it, it means the place of the, of the skull. Golgotha means skull, as if to represent the fragility of all humanity. 
As if to say, this represents your life and my life. Friends, if you're wondering what brought Jesus through the pain and the torment and the torture and the humiliation of the cross, you were on his mind. He adores you, your story, your circumstance. You were on his heart. And as that cross was dropped into the earth on that hill and his nails were dug into his hands and his feet, he chose one hill to give his life on, one hill to die on. And you know what that hill was? It was you. Your hills, his hill to die on, your life and your freedom, the healing in your body, the restitution of your soul, the reconciliation between God the Father and all of humanity. Jesus chose a hill to die on and it has your name on it. Come on, if you're thankful today, why don't you give him praise? You're his hill to die on. The only reason we have a chance to follow him today is because he didn't stay in that tomb where they buried him. Three days later, he resurrected to new life. But don't make any mistake. You are not just a number in a crowd. You are not lost on this planet. Every hair on your head is numbered. Every day of your life is numbered. Every breath is given as a gift by the creator of the universe. He chose a hill to die on, and it is you, and it gives us the power to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to now follow him. Your pastor can't make that decision for you. Your wife or your husband can't get you into heaven. Your family, just because they go to church, is a decision that you make. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no, no, no turning back. Every single one of us come to an I have decided moment. And we come to it again and again. As he leads us into new seasons, as he calls for more. We come to an I have decided moment. But how many of you know that we can't even make the decision to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow him on our own? If you do it out of your own will, you'll fail miserably every time. Speaking from experience here today. We can't do it out of our own strength. We can't do it out of our own wisdom and knowledge. That's like 
filthy rags. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We are able to step into all that God has called us to do because of the sacrifice of the cross and because of the power of the Spirit within us. For Scripture tells us that it's not by might. In other words, it's not by the amount of numbers. It's not by power. In other words, it's not about your own physical strength. But how many people in this room today can testify that it is by His Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the healing presence of God within you that dwells in you, empowering you to walk out the calling of God, the individual purpose and the corporate mission that is on this house. See, the Spirit carries the weight. You need to understand this. The Spirit carries the weight. You're your strongest when you surrender. God doesn't need your strength. He just needs your surrender. God's got a plan for you. He's got every single one of your steps measured out and planned, and he will take care of every single need every step of the way. He just wants this. God, I need you. I need you moment by moment. I need thee. Oh, how I need thee every hour, God. I need you. Paul writes, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We die to our flesh and we live by the Spirit. But hear me, he doesn't just empower our preaching, friends. It's so much more exciting than that. He empowers our living. He empowers our day-to-day in your business, in your cubicle, in the minivan on the way to school drop-off, or in the pickup line. When you're at your coffee table, the Spirit of the living God dwells within you and is empowering you. Hear me. I love good dynamics in a sermon. I love when people clap. I love when they shout. But I don't want my preaching to be more dynamic than my living. I want my day-to-day life to be filled with the combustive power of Almighty God fully released, fully freed to flow out into the world around me. I want my day-to-day to come alive in ways that I never dreamed of, for God to put people in my path because he knows that I'm not thinking about myself, but I'm thinking about others, that I'm perceiving what he wants to do, that I'm not ashamed to ask, can I pray for you? Can I talk with you? Will you grab my hand if you have a need? I know somebody who can do something about it. Come on, is anybody with me today? God is just looking for people who will pick up their cross and who will choose to follow him. You know, when, when I think about my family, my family, they're my heroes. They always have been. The story of us knowing Jesus goes back to my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother, her husband, they were living in complete poverty. They were illiterate. They had 13 children. Their first language was French. My grandma actually went to the doctor and got a report that she only had months to live with tumors in her brain. She went back to her home where she couldn't even put food on the table. They were making illegal alcohol, just trying to feed their 13 children. How could she take care of them once she was gone if she couldn't even take care of them that day? And on her doorstep, two older women showed up and invited her to a church service. And she decided 
to go for some reason. And she walked into an atmosphere of faith much like this room today. And then the power and the presence of God, when she walked down to that altar and they began to pray, the supernatural presence of God filled her life and healed her radically. And friends, she didn't just live for a couple months. She lived not just for years, but she lived for decades after that, all for the glory of God. And it changed our family forever. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me Friday night as I walked into this room. You need to understand the move of God, that God has ordained this season at James River. And it's so much more than just the moment. It's so much more than just one individual healing after another. But rather, I sense the Holy Spirit say, he is putting the testimony on the tongues of generations to come for what God is doing in this house. That your children and your children's children and your children's children's children will stand just like I do today and testify of the miraculous working power of God. He's working. He's moving. And it doesn't just happen in these four walls. Where you go, he goes with you. My great-grandfather, or my grandfather, my papa Duran, he's in heaven now. He's been in heaven for 10 years. He was one of those 13 kids. He grew up in poverty, but he saw God meet every need of our family's life. And as he saw God meet those needs, it was incredible because God called him into ministry and he decided to pick up his cross and follow Jesus, even though there, were, there was no providence financially. And he married my grandmother and they had my dad and my dad was one and two years old and they didn't own a home. They had no place to live. They went from church to church, house to house. Everything they owned was in the trunk of their car and my dad was in the back seat of a car seat and my grandma was in the front seat. It got hard. They couldn't put food on the table for my dad. And so my grandfather left the ministry and he went and worked in the shipyards. And for the first time, the checks were constant. He was able to put food on the table. But God gave my grandfather a vision of my dad in a casket. You say, Don Shree, are you crazy? Why would God ever give your grandfather a vision of your dad in a casket. Well, make no mistake, my dad, my grandfather never thought that God was saying that he was going to take my dad's life. That wasn't what the vision was about. Rather, it was very clear in my grandfather's spirit that God was saying to him, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me when I lead you, the spiritual legacy that is on your family will die with this generation. So my grandfather left the shipyards and he put my, grand, my dad back in the back seat of that car. They packed all their stuff up and they went on preaching the gospel. They ended up establishing a Christian school and a Christian church that they took over and that they led for decades to come. And my grandfather, he, he ministered for years, but friends, as he's in the, in the grandstands of heaven today, I can testify, he would say it about himself. He was never the greatest preacher. It was never about how, how beautiful and poetic his messages were. It was the fact that when he spoke, the power of God moved. And people sensed the love of Jesus. And they found Jesus. And the day that he died, 
As we stood at his funeral for five hours, we stood at the altar as a constant flow of people came through that line, telling us story after story of how he had prayed for them, of how he had showed up at their home, of how he had cared for their needs. Nobody ever knew his name outside of our city. That wasn't the point. He had fought the good fight. He had finished the race. He had kept the faith. Come on, is anybody say, I'm in it for that. That's what I'm here for. I want to fight the good fight. I want to finish the race. I want to keep the faith. Well then, let one who's gone before us speak to you today. This is a prayer that my grandfather prayed probably 30 years ago. He asked that it be played at his funeral. He's been in heaven for 10 years. But let him speak faith to your heart from the grandstands of heaven. We're so thankful for this time. Lord, it's so wonderful to be here with people that have stood behind us, genuinely loved us, Their hands reached out to us, their prayers of faith, and their love. God, I thank you for them tonight. But I thank you for everyone. The first assembly of God. Lord, we know there were people that learned how to pray. There were people that knew how to touch God. And Lord, we didn't give up. We didn't give up because when the church came to a standstill, Lord, I thought maybe you were still with me. But when I felt the urgency to pray, it's as your voice was speaking out to me, the best is yet to come. I think if we're honest, there are people in this room that you feel just like my grandpa did decades ago. God, are you through with me? God, I know what you did in the past, but God, I feel like I'm at a standstill. Are you through with me? I came on the assignment from Miami to you today to tell you God's not through with you. He's just getting started. You may feel like the best is behind you, but friends, with the God we serve, the best is always in front of you. We're on our way to eternity with Jesus, but while you are here, your life is not at a standstill. And today, if you feel like you've come to the end of your rope, can I tell you that's the perfect place to be? Because it's only when you come to the end of yourself that his supernatural presence can take over. You are in the perfect place for a miracle of his transformative power. You may feel like you're at a standstill in your marriage. You may feel like you're at a standstill in your job, a standstill as your children are lost and far away from Jesus. But today, together as a community, we speak over your life. The best is yet to come for those who seek to lose their life. Oh, that's when you'll find it. If today you'll throw your life into his hands, every single one of us, we're gonna choose a hill to die on. The question isn't if we're gonna die. All of us are gonna die. What will your hill be? 
Will your hill be instant gratification? Uh, are, you just, are you just wanting everything here and now, friends? We are eating seeds that were meant to be planted and bring harvest for generations to come. Will the hill you die on be information overload that we just can't get enough information? Give me some more information. Information does not equal transformation. You need the truth of God's word. This is where your peace comes from. This is where your discernment comes from. This is where your wisdom and your direction and your purpose comes from. Everything you seek is found in his presence. Are we gonna die on the hill of identity? God, I know who I am more than you do. I don't care. If you created me, I'm gonna die on this hill of demanding that everyone recognize who I say I am. Are we gonna die on the hill of experiences and memories and what we accumulate while we are here on this earth? Or will we decide to be men and women of God who are a people that say, Lord, I will deny myself. I will pick up my cross and I will follow you whoever seeks to save his life. Doesn't say whoever saves his life. There's no way for you to save your own life. You can try. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake, oh, there's new life. There's new purpose. There's joy for the journey. If you'll choose your hill to die on.